when we changed and went from just a regular postcard or a regular two-page letter saying we buy house to actually putting an offer on there, everything went through the roof. I think the advantage I have is that little local small, almost make it a small town guy in the big town. Does that make sense? You gotta know who you are. I think that's so important. I think so many people jump in and they think I'm the Michael Jordan of real estate, when really they maybe they have a Steve Kerr. Since I've been doing this for so long and I've been a part of the multifamily world, land world, single family world, been up and down all different markets, it's really hard to pass that on to somebody. The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. Scott, welcome to Investor Creator. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So I've been looking forward to this because we've got a lot of different things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about land deals. We're going to talk about marketing. We can talk about houses and also how you deal with hedge funds to sell property to that group. And I think that all of that's going to be a lot of fun. But first, before we get into that, I just want to talk about the market. So how do you feel about the market right now based on where we are in the market cycle? I know you're in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix had a really tough time in 09, 10, and 11. And so what's your thoughts on the market right now? And is it time to really move forward in investing or is it time to be really conservative and kind of pull back? I think it's a great question. And I, you know, I've been on a lot of calls and, and conversations about this. And unfortunately, none of us have a crystal ball or at least we, maybe we do. I do have a crystal ball, but it, it's, it reads about the same as everybody else's. It's, it's not very accurate. So I think, uh, in my uh, personal opinion, it kind of depends on where you focus on whether you should be conservative or a little more aggressive. So here in Phoenix, in the Phoenix market, if you're looking at the single family world, we're still in a pretty solid hot uh, you know, seller's market right now. We still have uh, a lot of pent up demand here. We got not enough homes in the market. We have uh, quite a few homes would have to hit the market before we even got to a normal balanced market, if that makes sense. So right now, nothing's really changed. I mean, Right when the scare happened, maybe a, there was a little blip, in my opinion, like a little blip, some cash buyers and people who were flipping maybe backed off for a second, but then everybody just put their foot back down uh, and are not having many issues there. It depends on the price range of the house as well. So if you're getting a little bit, you know, the luxury market's getting hammered, you know, there's not a lot of people buying in the higher end. So it kind of depends on where you're at, in my opinion. Right now, if you have cash, I think you're setting really pretty. I think there's always great opportunities when you have some of that excess cash, but Single family world, I haven't seen much of a change in the land. I did change a little bit. I mean, we used to focus on some of the stuff on some infill lots, uh, but we have maneuvered a little bit. Where we're at, we do some rural vacant stuff as well, some uh, possible development opportunities. And so that's changed a little bit. Our focus on the infill lots slowed down a little bit. I mean, people building from the ground up in some of those areas, they slowed down. So if we buy those, we're going to be holding them. Sorry, I'm out in the patio. I've got flies flying in my face. 
That's okay. Uh, but as far as the things that I've seen change in the market here locally, not a whole lot, just to be completely honest with you. A little blip, but uh, I think we still are set pretty good in Phoenix. Yeah, and I think that even nationally that, that we can say that for most markets. You know, I, we're in multiple states, and I really haven't seen anything that is super scary to me at this point, but the jury's still out, so we'll see. And the thing for me is I don't really care what the market is going to. I just want to know, are we appreciating? Are we declining? Is it time to pivot? You know, those kinds of things, because, you know, with every problem comes equal opportunity. And if we go to a depreciating market, that's OK. You know, we just have to know that that's where we're headed. So that makes a lot of sense. So, Scott, take a moment and tell the listeners about how you got started in real estate and how that went for you. For me, I think as a kid, so I was a, I'll go through this as quickly as possible. I don't want to ram, ramble through. No, that's OK. I get long winded on this. So. For me growing up, just so I can give you a little background, I was a horrible student, terrible in school. I mean, I left school early. I mean, I basically have a ninth grade education. I left, I never finished a semester of 10th grade. But even as a kid uh, growing up here in Phoenix and seeing the growth happening and all the houses popping up, I always had this interest in real estate or what they were doing or how they were doing it. And as a young kid, my grandfather gave me my first real estate course. And I wish I could remember how old I was. Uh, It was a Wade B. Cook course and it had cassettes and and so I feel like as far as real estate goes, as far as me wanting to be in it, I feel like it's almost been forever that I, I wanted to do it. I just didn't know how to do it. I considered myself kind of a slow learner, didn't, didn't feel smart at all, obviously, having issues in school. And so when I left and got out to the world, I mean, I had to start working with my hands. So I uh, got into the trades. So my uh, father was a carpet installer. My uncle was a tile installer. So I just started installing floors in a lot of these places. They were moving up up. But I bought my first property. So my first taste of real estate was when I was 21 years old. It's funny because I had just looked up this property the other day because uh, I'm looking for other homes in that area. So I looked it up and it was 1993, 21, but 1993 when I bought that place. We bought that house for I think $67,000. 7000 67000 $67,000. In our market now, that house is two fifty. Yeah. or something like that. So sixty-seven thousand. I probably should have held I, every house that I see that I let go or or kind of sold. I always think, man, I should have. As an older guy, I feel like I should have held them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we see the same thing in Nashville, which is my home base. So you bought that first property at twenty-one. Was that to be basically an owner-occupant, or was this investment property at that point? To live in, to fix up, and to sell and flip turned out to take me a little longer than I thought because. In my 20s, I just kind of went from one flip to the next flip to the next flip. Didn't really make hardly any money. And I thought that I'll do it all myself. So I did most of the work inside the houses from top to bottom all on my own. So that was a slow process. Right. And back in those days, finding properties wasn't as easy for me. I mean, I didn't really have any experience or a huge network. And so it was just a door knocking call a title company, get a list of people and go knock on doors. That's all I did throughout my 20s. And if I couldn't uh, get a real estate deal, I was trying to work for other rehabbers and put the tile on the carpet and those kind of things to keep myself fed (laughs) Uh, during my 20s. So, but that was all great. Those are great experiences because all that door knocking and gosh, all the crazy stories you have, you know, knocking on someone's door and get chased away, not having a script, not knowing what you're doing till today after all the things we've been through it's like so all, all that's great learning experiences so my my first taste in real estate was that first house of 21 i but that was after many years of me studying and listening to things and building up the courage to even get out there and try yeah and let me ask this because i know for a lot of people a lot of people don't think that they have what it takes to do the business 
did you feel like based on, well, I wasn't good at school, maybe I, I can't do this. And that's something you really had to overcome first. Or did that happen over time once you started doing transactions? I knew it was going to have to happen over time. You know, growing up, you, you play a lot of sports and you're not always right on. You know, you know that, that hard work pays off over time. Right. Um, but I knew I was going to have to work harder than everybody. I just knew it. Still to this day, not the brightest guy. So when I'm learning something new, I know I'm going to have to put in a month for someone else's, you know, two days, two days. Yeah. You know? Still to this day, even with the technical stuff, but I'm willing to put it in because I know what's going to happen in the back end. Uh, but so I think growing up, I felt very uneducated and behind. And so I felt like I didn't want to work on my knees my whole life. Yeah. I saw what that did to people. And so I knew that I was just going to have to work that little extra harder, that I was going to have to knock on more doors than the average person, that I was going to have to get a lot more no's and, and then just get through it. So I really uh, commend you for knocking on doors. I feel like someone that can do that can do anything. So you have to have like one great story that stands out. It's like you knock on a door, something bad happens. I'll tell you one of mine real quick. Uh, I went to a property one time, a wholesaler had posted and I called him. I said, hey, I knew the guy well. I said, hey, uh, I'm going to go look at this property. Is it open? He said, yeah, it's vacant. You know, there's some furniture in there. Don't worry about it. Just going in. The front door's unlocked. So I get there and I unlock the door and there's lights on. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of weird. You know, and I just, I had a bad feeling. And so I walked out, I called my friend again that had this property under contract. I said, hey man, are you sure I'm at the right place? He said, yeah, it looks like this. You know, I, I mean, the grass was grown up. I mean, all this. And so I, I go back in and there's an old World War II veteran holding me at gunpoint. And <laughs> it was so funny because the two wholesalers, their name were, were Ty and Rob, Rob for Robert. Okay. And so like, I have my hands up like this. I'm like, Hey, I'm with Ty and Rob. And all he heard was Ty and Rob, which is a completely different context. Well, the guy on six months ago and, and how I'm still alive, I have no idea because he could have legally killed me. And long story short, the police came and I had like the ad up on my phone, like, Hey, this is the house I'm supposed to be at. The builder had built the exact same house, three doors down off the road. So you couldn't see it from the road. And I was thinking, man, like I just went home after that. It was 10 a.m. in the morning. I was like, I'm done for today because I'm still alive. That's a win. I'm going to call it a day and I'm out of here. So, do you have anything that, that just sticks out in your mind? It's like you do or not because like, it was just the wrong day. Yeah. And for, first and foremost, just for anybody out there who's thinking about door knocking, don't beat yourself up too much. I mean, there was plenty of times I drove up to a house, changed my mind, drove away. I mean, I was just as afraid and nervous about doing it as anybody. So it's not like I was super brave and just went and did it every time. Sometimes I'd pull up to an area in the neighborhood and talk myself out of it and drive away and get mad at myself, and try to get to the next one. So, you know, it's just repetition, you know, that's just how it's. But the story that I could think of off the top of my head was kind of similar, uh, just with not the gun. This house was, again, I, it seemed vacant. I knocked on the door, no one answered. I tried the water spout. There was no water coming out of it. And I thought, okay, this is cool. I'm going to look around. So yeah, I did. I started nosing around and got to the backyard and all the way back to the, the sliding Acadia door there. And as I was kind of peeking in there, and the guy jumps out and he's got a bat or some kind of stick in his hand. Big old massive biker guy chases me around. I didn't even have time to talk or try to explain myself. He was chasing me good. Good thing I was younger back in those days. I jumped that fence pretty dang quick. <laughs> got, got in my truck and drove away. I could think of that one. And then I think of a lot of other embarrassing times just because I had no scripts and stuff. And there was somebody working under a truck at one of the houses. And I kept calling him, sir, sir, and sir, 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 for the longest time. And after talking to him, got mad at me because it was actual female the whole time I was talking to her. 
Well, you're trying to be respectful, so that yeah. But I, I just remember all these little embarrassing moments and fun things that you know you start to slowly get tighter and tighter and better and better and a little more careful and more cautious. Yeah, I got chased away. Yeah, I got chased away pretty good. That scared me pretty good. I, I like you. I said, oh, I'm gonna take the rest of the day off. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, the failures that I had at the beginning, I really look back on and think like that's the best thing that could have possibly happened to me at that point, because now I appreciate what we have so much. And, and I'm sure that this resonates with you as well. Whenever we have those kinds of problems, it builds a lot of character and the character is what you're going to need for the bad times, because you're always going to have a problem. Like I don't know anybody that has a business that doesn't have some kind of problem, you know, but with the problem, there's equal opportunity. And I believe that with everything, you know, but if I had, some of the, the things that I see in the market right now are people that have been in the business two years and they've never had any kind of a, a difficult issue at all, or at least seemingly, right? And so whenever there's a bad time that comes for them, they're not going to have the determination and the commitment to the business that we have, you know, because we've just been in it too long at this point, you know, and you've been in longer than I have. So I really appreciate the struggle that I've had. And I'm sure you probably feel the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then as a an agent later on, I got licensed and did things. Some of those stories of showing houses that were supposed to be vacant, it just goes on. <laughs> yeah, there's just right. so many of those stories. Right, right. Very cool. So tell me about your business now, because you've got some really cool things going. Tell me what you're up to. Well, for right this minute, it's just me. So I don't have any team or anything anymore. I don't have any virtual assistants. I mean, I really kind of narrowed it down to just a simple system that I can work and close about three deals a month. I'm doing real simple stuff. The plan is to build up a little bit again here shortly, but because with my background, I've had teams. I've I owned a real estate franchise here locally. I mean, I got licensed in 2005 because I could. I just got really tired of chasing realtors around and trying to explain what I was trying to do and right get them to work with me. But when I got my license, I kind of fell into that whole retail world and saw the potential there. So I just got so focused in that. Uh, that I ended up building myself up to owning a real estate franchise. We did tons of deals back then, right before, you know, right before the crash happened. And then I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth for realtors, dealing with realtors all the time and training them and doing all that, that I went back on my own. And so 2018, uh, do you mind if I go into some of that stuff? I'm Absolutely, sorry. sure. I'm always asking that because again, like I get long-winded. I was in between 2010 and 2016, I was in pretty much cruise control. I've done so much stuff and Almost all the fields, land, houses, multifamily. We, I paid for one-on-one coaching. I forgot what that was. I paid over six figures for training over the years easily. But we were doing well. So the wife was doing well. I was doing well. And I was in a semi-retirement stage for quite a while, probably five or six years. It was 2018 that I came back out, mm-hmm. uh, out of my cave. Uh, the broke, My broker at that time came to me and said that uh, we were going to have exclusive agency with a hedge fund that was coming. And so that's when I came out of my retirement, I would say, my semi-retirement and went full force again. But I'm, I'm at the, a different level. Uh, I don't know. I guess a different point in my mind for where I'm at right now is it's how do I work more efficiently, sure. uh, less cost, and can I just do it on my own just from home? I mean, <clears throat> I haven't had an office since 2009 or 10 when we, after the crash. I didn't want one anymore after that. I didn't feel it was necessary. And I thought we could do everything on the run or from home. And so I haven't owned, I haven't uh, ran an office that way in quite a long. Last time we had a team was where uh, the wholesaling stuff was all virtual. So right now though, it's just me. I'm starting to build it back up with our company option B. The plan with that is just to create a, 
a real estate company that has all the options available for people. So multiple cash offers we have available for them. If they want to do traditional, we have a whole suite of things they could do for the traditional side, uh, working with home sellers and then creative, creatively stuff and creative stuff. So we're focused mostly on single family with option B. All the land stuff I do, it's just kind of, uh, I do have a land development thing coming up, but Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all over the board in a sense, but right now it's just me. If that makes sense. So I'm trying, well, I was trying to explain this. I'm not a team. I don't work seven days a week. I don't want to work seven days. A week. Right. I meet a lot of young guys who like their hustle, 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 hustle seven days a week. And I get that when you're younger. When I was younger, I did. Sure did. Yeah. I worked seven days a week to build up the, the knowledge base and, and also just to get things done back in the day. But now I'm almost part time. I got my lists and stuff that I hit narrowed down. We send offers directly to people, blind offers in the mail. So we take our time really pricing out properties before we send a mailer. And then our, we do really well. So we just do well with a mailer. Recently, I'm just now starting to try to get better in the social media world, the some online world. I mean, our website's terrible. It's being revamped right now. And so there's some online stuff I'm going to be doing here soon. But for now, again, it's just me. As that starts to happen and we're able to start scaling up those leads, I'll think about the team again. But my business is really simple right now. Let's talk about your acquisition. So it sounds like direct mail is your bread and butter. Direct mail has almost always been my number one thing. Okay. It just never stops working. All right. So it sounds like you're sending a number that is your offer in your direct mail piece. So tell us about that. I've kind of learned it from the great folks over at Land Academy, so I'll give them a shout out. So this is a lot of the stuff that I learned from Steve and Jill over there. They helped me show me how to rather quickly price out properties and get an idea of an offer out. So for houses, let's talk about houses. So for houses, what we do is we take an average of what Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, and now what's the other one? There's six total. And sometimes I'll do my own comp. We'll take an average of what they're thinking the property's worth. I'll discount it from there, whatever I feel like the market's needing at that time. And we went a little further than a discount and then it prices it out and we do an odd price. So it'd be something like $213,529.10 or something. Okay. number like that, right? And so we'll send that offer out to people and it gets the phone ringing, right? People call, you know, you know how it is. You get through the few people who are mad and don't like the offer. And sometimes we buy the property at that price, but... 90% of the time when we get to the property, the property needs a lot of work. And then we're able to explain to them you know, some of the assumptions that we took on that pricing. So the pricing does a great job of getting me in the door. We bought a few properties right at that price because they were just great deals that we could just hotel right now. But when we changed and went from just a regular postcard or a regular two-page letter saying we buy houses to actually putting an offer on there, everything went through the roof. Interesting. So in my experience with direct mail, I used to do a lot of direct mail and everything that we do in my personal business is online now. But when I was doing direct mail, I was mailing 70,000 letters a month and we had maybe a third that would be angry that we mailed them. So do you see that go up or down based on giving a... As far as, far as being angry? Right. Yeah. First 40 calls are always angry people. I mean, I just, I've never gotten away from... I don't know if they're angry because I want to buy their house. It's interesting. Yeah, it's like, okay, right. you, know, yeah. you don't have to accept it. But the first 40 almost always like clockwork. People who are angry, people are saying it's insulting to offer, leave me alone kind of things. I always thought it was funny when people bothered to call off mailers. I get it because well, I have used SMS texting and RBM blasting. I get those people maybe being angry because you're kind yeah. of you know, getting up in their face a little bit. But a mailer, you just throw in the trash. I don't even know why you pick up the phone and actually bother calling yeah, when we were doing so much direct mail in-house, we had so many people that would mail us the letter back with 
profanities on it that we made like a wall of shame. It was like a whole wall of direct mail people. Back to us. But sometimes every once in a while, we did buy property from people that would give us a number and it was a number that we could work with. So they would mail us back. We want 200. Like, hey, that's fine. So like, let's call these people. So uh, I guess anything happened. So it sounds like you're trying to buy virtually as much as possible. So someone calls in or is that going to a voicemail or is that going to someone answering live? Now it's me. So I had a Pat Live, somebody Pat Live used to answer all my calls. Now it's just me. Um, so I, I got even more and more narrowed down. After all this happened, was what I ended up doing. I said, okay, let me see where I'm spending money where I probably don't need to be spending money. Yeah. So that That's the only real adjustment I made was get my cost down. I don't need that. I was kind of throwing money around because it was a little easier. It's easier for Pat Line games to call for me, but I didn't necessarily need it. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice to have the calls answered, listen to the recordings, and only call back to people I really needed to. Right. Uh, so Pat Live would answer it, but now it's me. Okay. So you're answering, and then you're deciding, okay, so are you going to appointments in person at all right now, or is it everything virtual? I like to try to do virtual, but every now and then there's someone who wants me to come out, so I'll go. So since I do all the houses here locally still, the land I, could, I do virtually all over, but the, the houses I still got to One of the reasons why I really, I've always really liked it is that it's just far gotcha. Okay. So you're deciding whether or not to set an appointment or not, or I guess at that point, like what's your process from the time that they call you? I walk them through. So I got Podio and I got another system set up now that I'm trying out, but I walk through Podio, find out about the house as much as possible, try to find out as much as motivation, mm-hmm. but I've always have had much better luck in person. I've always had a, a much higher closing rate building rapport in person. So Typically, if I'm on the call and I can tell their personalities just get tougher and tougher, I'll schedule it. I mean, I don't do, like I said, I don't have thousands of phone calls coming in. I don't have to go out on hundreds of appointments. If I go out on about six appointments for the month, I'm getting three closings easy. I know I can do that all day. So, And for me, with my cost being as low as I've gotten it down to, it's just it's a pretty simple process. So I do, if the phone calls not going the way I really, really want it. Sometimes I could just really mesh with somebody quickly on the phone and get them pretty much closed over the phone and even get them to send me pictures or a video of the house and all that. That's great. That's awesome. But most of the time, I mean, I'd say the majority of the time, I end up scheduling a appointment rather quick. Very good. And so are you surprised that you're able to compete as well as you are in that market? Because I've always heard Phoenix is one of the more competitive markets in the country. Yeah, it's the Mecca. And I think it a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've been here for so long. So a lot of the advantages I have is I think I know just about every nook and cranny, right? So I've been here forever. I know every neighborhood. If someone's talked to me and they tell me the neighborhood, I pretty much know all of it. Or I've probably been involved in a sell or a buy with a buy deal or anything in that neighborhood somewhere. I mean, I can't tell you how many times it happens when they tell me their address. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, we bought the house down the street or we I helped sell that house down a block away from you. So. I think the advantage I have is that little local, small, almost make it a small town guy in the big town. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. So I've just been around for so long and know so many people. And I get referrals all the time still to this day. And the thing I like about the mailers too is I got a call just last week, week before from a mail that I sent last July. Right. A mailer I sent last July, right? They called in and he wants to sell his house now. So I like the mailer because they tend to hold on to it and uh, call even at a later date. Me, yeah. We've had that happen a lot as well. We had one situation where we were doing direct mail and internet at the time. And 
they called us from a direct mail piece. We got it under contract. And then they decided that they might want a better offer from someone else. And so they went to our website and asked for an offer there. And we called <laughs> back and we're like, hey, you know, I, I thought we had this under contract. And she ended up telling us the property. But uh, it's always nice when like all roads lead to you sort of yeah, thing. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's kind of a fun. Let's talk about hedge funds. So how in the world did you guys become the preferred agent for a hedge fund? Well, that I have to give all credit to my broker at the time. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dan Noma Jr. He's Dan is one of the smartest guys I know in the industry. Probably one of the more powerful ones, but probably one of the quietest. I don't know if he does a whole lot of talking. He just does a lot of doing. So I have to hand that more to Dan. And when I was there, when I saw what was happening, people have asked me before, how do you give it the hedge fund? And I tell them, you need to become good. <laughs> what I mean is... You, if you're young and you think you're just going to get into a hedge fund, it doesn't really work that way. I think niching down and making a name for yourself, it's almost like they come to you, if that makes sense. I don't know if there's a magical way of doing it. Of course, I do know that you can contact people, bug people all you want. In my opinion, the way I've always done it is I try to become great at what I do and great at my craft and then let that do all the talking and let people come to me. And so to me, that when the time's right, it happens. But that patience isn't always easy to have. So the hedge funds, it kind of came to me. I didn't really do a lot. I just tried to make myself available all the time. So Dan actually called me and called me out of retirement for that because he knew I'd come in and get the work done. And You're right. right. Out. So we sold them in 2018, thousands of houses. It was just, it was a bad, it was a mad run. Seven days a week I was working during that time. Uh, they were buying up everything. So what are they looking for in terms of a purchase? For them, for at that time, they were looking for a rental and it had to have a certain cap. Uh, so everything we were underwriting needed to be in a good rental area. They'd pay full price, sometimes over full price, if it made sense for their rents. And so that particular fund was buying uh, based off a certain cap rate. And that cap rate that they came in with was very aggressive. And we were able to just even go into the MLS and just buy in certain neighborhoods that we knew the rents were well. So that was the beginning of the year. I mean, it was just the first quarter. It was madness. It was just so would the cap rate change depending on the property or was it just a set? If you can give me a five cap or six cap, we'll buy it. Yeah, it just had to be the cap. So the cap had to be on point and the cap changed over the years, right? So as we, they got a little less, a little less, a little less aggressive as the year went on. Uh, but everything was based off that. So all the underwriting we did was based off of rents. And, and I noticed that a lot of the, other funds that we that I know of, because again, Dan works with quite a few of them. A lot of them were based off rents, and all of them had different cap rates, or maybe it couldn't have a certain amount of rehab or something like that. And, and we did all that just through pictures. We didn't go out to the property, so we would estimate that as well. So the underwriting process was really the key thing: comping, comping uh, what the house was worth plus what it could rent for plus what you thought it might need in rehab. And so they needed experienced people who understood all that really quickly. So right. if I looked at some pictures, I could start telling you, you want this rent ready? We're going to do this, 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 that. You know, and then I know I can comp in pretty much two seconds in Phoenix. Phoenix is a rather easy market to comp. In. Interesting. I didn't know that. In my opinion, because there's just, just a lot of cookie cutter. Um, a lot of it. So it's one of the easier markets if you're doing comps. And people still come to me and ask me how to comp. I'm like, boy, if you can't comp in Phoenix, you're going to be you're gonna in trouble. <laughs> that, that would be a real problem. It's like, you don't know what you can buy something for if you don't know what it's worth. That's right. You know, that, that's a real problem. Switching gears. So let's say someone is very new to the business. They're, they've never done a deal. How do you recommend that someone gets started that has never invested before? I'm a, an old school mindset guy. 
And so every time someone comes to me, which I'd have quite a few come to me as new people, I always work on them first before I even start teaching them anything in the business. I think uh, most of the younger people I've met now over the last 10 years who come to me and learn, I've done a lot of teaching. I created a boot camp for real estate agents back in the day. I've taught a lot of classes here for title companies and stuff on wholesaling because wholesaling is pretty much the most popular thing I think anybody wants to know about when they're getting started. Everybody wants to know how to wholesale. My advice to them is always real simple. So over the years, I've created what I call the five W's. And it's real simple. I'll go through it real quick. I won't jump into it because I can write a whole book on it. And then there's like an extra plus W, but it's really is who. So it's who, who you are. You got to know who you are. I think that's so important. I think so many people jump in and they think I'm the Michael Jordan of real estate. When really, maybe they're the Steve Kerr. I mean, I that is a basketball thing, a documentary that's going on right now with the Bulls is pretty good. Didn't be watched it. Maybe you're a point guard. You want to be a center, but you're a point guard. You got to know who you are. So I think you should take time and learn some psychology, learn who you are as a person, take some of those personality tests that are out there. I won't jump into them, but I was certified in the DISC test years ago, and I really like that. Second W is where. Where, where do you want to go? And it's a two-part to it because you also got to find know where you're at. Too many people are faking it till they make it. So I used to always talk about a map. If I'm in Phoenix, I want to get to Vegas. Well, Vegas is my goal. It's where I'm going to go. But if I'm not true to myself and where I'm at right now, how in the world am I ever going to map that out? And so I think people need to really be honest about where they're at. If you're eating ramen and things are tough right now, it's okay to be real with yourself. That way you can start mapping out where you want to go. The third W is why. So you, why are you doing it, right? I think everybody's heard of their big why. You really, really, really need to dive deep into that. And then there's another W is willing. What are you willing to do? So once you know who you are, where you're at, where you want to go, why you want to do it, are you really willing to do what it's going to take to get there? So for me, I knew I had to work seven days a week as a young person, right? I knew I had to get out there and work with my hands, probably do most work myself. And I just knew it and I had to ask myself, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do what it takes? If the answer is no, then step back again. Find and go start at the first W. Who am I? You know, where am I? Why am I doing this? Am I willing? And then the last one, W, is work. Yeah. Right? So once you get all that stuff, you gotta put in the work. And and I feel like everybody's looking for that drive-through, you know, the app that's gonna get it done. And you know, what about this? I have so many people come, what do you think of this CRM? And what do you think of this texting system? And what do you think of all that? And I'm like, man, you know what I think? I think you need to sit down. And go through the five W's. Because <laughs> okay. right. once you get that done, they all work. I mean, I've never used any kind of lead generation system that didn't work at all. I mean, it feels like it worked. I just had to always ask myself, am I willing to continue with this system? So when I did the RBM blast, I wasn't really happy. I mean, it worked. But I realized this isn't really for me. Like, this is not what I want to do. If I'm going to be working on my own where I'm at right now, it might be something I should add to my system's as I'm building and have a team and I can really hit a bigger list and bigger list and bigger list, and let it filter through. But for where I'm at right now, me sitting around looking at text all day, that just wasn't going to be it. Right. So, but not that it didn't work. As a young person, you got to know who you are, what you're willing to do and where you want to go for sure before you yeah. start doing anything. Yeah. And on the work side, I see so many people that are, they think listening to a podcast is work. They think reading a book is work. And I tell people all the time, the only work that you're doing is when you're in front of a seller that can sell you something or a buyer that's going to buy something and everything else is preparatory to work. So if we're tracking our time, that's the only time that matters, right? So that makes a lot of sense. Last question for you. So how do you see the real estate investing world changing the next 10 years? It's a great question. I think when I look at things, 
I think I was pretty surprised with how many people like these iBuyers. Do you guys have iBuyers out where you're at? Where you're at, Debrad? Yeah, I'm in Nashville, and yeah, we have them. Nashville, we have so so a lot of we we were Phoenix, so we have everybody. Everybody comes here to test out, right? So yeah, the, all the iBuyers, you know, the open doors off the pads. I think that I was pretty surprised at what people are willing to pay for convenience. So I feel like that the real estate market has been really needing a disruption for quite a while. I mean, I feel like it's kind of an old school setup. And I feel like you know, we got a, got a lot of strong lobbyists there that are always trying to keep it you know, status quo. But I see a lot of things. I mean, I was working with some guys on some blockchain technology for the closing processes, but we haven't got too far on it yet. Just so much to do when, when I'm by myself. But I just see a lot of disruptions probably coming up here really soon. As far as that's on the side of if you're a real estate agent or a real estate investor, as far as like the market itself, you're meaning is like opportunities and stuff like that. What kind of opportunities do I see coming up? Well, just like, uh, it's just interesting to me. I try not to look too far ahead. I really try not to, even though it's, it's I don't know all the time what's going to happen. I thought maybe we'd have some foreclosures popping up and I just saw an article saying they're going to, these forbearances, they're going to let them pack in the back end. So I think they're trying to do everything they can to keep band-aids on things. I think it's only a matter of time before that, that wound festers a little bit. Then we're going to need surgery. Um, it's hard because I always feel like I'm talking to the newer person. So when I'm talking about the market, it's really hard because when I'm talking to guys who've been around for a long time, it's always about keeping our eye on things, get your costs down. You know what I mean? Get your cost down and just prepare yourself in case there's a big wave that comes. But there's other things that I can't help the young people with, and that's experience. And so since I've been doing this for so long and I've been a part of the multifamily world, land world, single family world, been up and down all different markets, it's really hard to pass that on to somebody if that makes any sense. I can give them a heads up and warning, but a lot of the new people I tell them, you just got to get out there. And right now, I almost never, never really mattered what happened in the market. I mean, wholesaling was fine. I could still get that done. I just had to adjust my prices. I mean, there was always houses moving some way or another. And even if get out there and get it, like I, I don't know what to say about where the market's going just because I really don't know. That's just the truth. I mean, I can guess and I do have guesses all the time, but I try to watch it and try to be just a step ahead, just a step ahead. I don't want to react after the fact. I want to be just a little step ahead. Absolutely. I, and I look at a lot of local stuff because I'm here local. So we do have a, a land development where we're going to put some affordable housing on. You know, it's called Casa Grande, which is between Tucson and Phoenix. So um, you know, I got my ear to the ground. I'm noticing some growth going out there and they need some affordable housing. So we're going to be doing a project out there. Very cool. Very cool. Scott, if people want to contact you or find out more about you and what you have going on, where's the best place for them to go? Well, you can just find me on social media. You know, Scott Dawson on Facebook, Scott Dawson underscore US on uh, Instagram. Uh, just reach out to me there. Yeah, I'm always available to talk or chat or help out in any way I can. Very good. Scott, appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. Have a great one, bud.